Hello, and thank you for listening in on a series dedicated to addressing the challenges and shifts in culture and work that will arise due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Our goal is to arm you with information to prepare our community for what is sure to be a new normal in the workplace. Today, we are delighted to welcome a very special guest to discuss really specifically the healthcare industry in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Lori Plazinski is an incredible interior designer and a thought leader in the built environment who I greatly admire. Uh, She's led a team at one of the region's top architecture and design firms and currently is the vice president of design and via environments for health. And she's also a foundation board member for Metro Health. So thank you for joining us, Lori. I'm happy to talk to you today. Well, and thank you so much for allowing me to be here and to share a little bit of what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing and what my peers in the industry are hearing and seeing as well. I think we're all more than delighted to be able to come together and to have a platform to be able to share some great ideas and thought starters. So going right into that, I'm sure over the course of the past few weeks, I gather you've really gotten a feel for the considerations that our local health systems are really taking when it comes to moving forward out of this pandemic. Can you first start and just give us some background on your viewpoint of really the healthcare industry in general right now? You know, the healthcare industry, it's interesting. Once the pandemic hit, I think it put a stop to everything else from strategic planning to master planning to projects that were underway. And really their focus at the time had to be on how to respond to the pandemic. And then it shifted from how do we respond and get ready to go? We all heard the conversations on PPE and we heard the conversations on potential surge. Um, And then it shifted to how do we modify our built environment to better respond to the potential surge that's coming. So there was a a mental shift to how do we get our urgent care set up? How do we uh, try to minimize the impact of visitor flow? And again, directional wayfinding to try to minimize that impact and potentially spreading COVID even further. Um, And now that we're we're starting to come out of that phase, it's it's a focus now on, okay, how do we respond to this next potential um, surge that could hit in the fall? How do we get our projects back up and reignited? And what was maybe a key focus prior to the pandemic that is no longer top of the list and priority? So I think there's a lot of um, review from a strategic planning perspective of what are the priorities? Um, what does the, you know, the patient of the future look like? And um, where's their potential revenue? A lot of hospitals are looking at how do we safely re-engage the public and care for them, but how do we bring revenue back into our systems as well? Um, You know, the healthcare industry as a whole, I heard an interesting statistic. Um, Typically, the hospital industry as a whole brings in $100 billion a month in revenue. So that's collectively across the system. This past month alone, there was a $50 billion um, shortfall because of the COVID pandemic and because of the need to have everyone stay at home, stop non-essential surgeries. Um, And so because of that, health systems are hurting. So they're looking to how do we re-engage safely? But how do we continue to um, employ people? How do we care and how do we bring revenue back in? But again, in a safe manner, always putting the patient and the public first. Yeah, absolutely. There's those considerations about caring for our community, but we don't often think about during this whole pandemic that they have businesses to run as well. Uh, That kind of leads into telehealth and just this topic of virtual health in general. I know a lot of furniture manufacturers and providers um, of tools and technology for telehealth are considering how this pandemic might accelerate the need for telehealth. What have you heard about just health systems considering incorporating that into how they're caring for patients? 
You know, it's interesting. I think with telehealth, there's been um, a positive and a drawback. And what I mean by that is prior to the pandemic, a lot of health systems were either um, avidly using telehealth or they were just tiptoeing into it. And there was a lot of uncertainty from both the health system side and the consumer side and how to really ensure that you're getting that face-to-face -face interaction that you need just virtually. And so I think the one good thing with the pandemic is it really um, forced some institutions and consumers to find a way to be comfortable and to see that it really can be a great platform to utilize, allows you to stay safely within your home, but connect with the medical community. Um, that being said, there's always a drawback. There's always pros and cons to everything. And so while the telehealth system has really helped to replace the void of in-person visits to a point, um, it has a completely different revenue stream. So a lot of health systems are looking at, you know, you get paid 30% um, of what you may get paid for an in-person visit. And so I don't think telehealth necessarily replaces your primary care or your urgent care. You know, they're still going to have a place. I think if anything, it's redefining who do you still need to see in person? How do you do that safely? How do you utilize telehealth? And I know a lot of health systems are having conversations with um, insurance companies as well saying, how can we look at the, if this is the way of the future in order for everybody to really be able to allow that service and stay profitable how do we look at what that um, ratio is uh, from just a uh, revenue stream to be able to allow them to continue to offer that? And I think from a design community perspective, it's being mindful of, do we have some um, way to make recommendations as to from an individual in the medical field performing a telehealth visit, they may be in an office still, or they may be in their home. So what are some good practices from lighting to audio to how they're seated to visual eye contact? Um, how, what are some recommendations for our consumer? If a lot of our consumers that would utilize this visit may not be comfortable with virtual technology, how do we help them be more comfortable? So I think there's a lot of opportunity from us in the design community to help foster that level of comfort, but to then also look and return at when there is still a need for in-person visits, how do we then in turn um, modify that setting, so the primary care office setting, to make it safe, to allow individuals to still feel comfortable to come back to the office and um, not totally eliminate the need for face-to-face, -face, but really look at ways to improve that face-to-face -face interaction and implement as many safety protocols as possible. So as these healthcare systems are looking at these considerations, how do you feel on um, being a thought leader in design? How are they looking to the design industry to really answer those questions that they might be having on moving forward with changes they may require? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think as a design community, we're trained to look at a problem and offer up a solution. And more often than not, that solution is um, looking at changes to the physical space, redesigned to the physical space. Um, what I'm finding as I talk to my peers across the continuum in the design community, healthcare community, and beyond, um, what they're identifying is that the change that's needed isn't always within the physical space. It may be a process methodology. It may be retraining your staff and how do you maintain safe contact? How do you maintain distance? How do you educate yourself on the process flow of when you come into your office in the morning to when you grab appropriate PPE if it's needed to when you exit out and dispose of that, um, as well as how do you better direct your patient flow that's coming in to keep safe? Is it a one directional um, type of methodology? Again, I think of going back to um, when hospitals used to put colored tape on the floor 
and that was for wayfinding. But we're seeing that methodology come out even our, in our grocery stores right now. And it's purposeful. It's try to, trying to limit that cross-contamination and cross-flow and try to really orientate the population to be much more directional. And so I think a lot of those process methodologies are going to find their way even more into the healthcare design um, language and conversation. And I think that's where we as a community can say, let's let's level up, let's step back and let's look at, is this a physical change or can we make minor modifications to the built environment, but really help you understand your process methodologies. Maybe it's a change management um, because over time, right now, this is just a point in time and we have to respond to this point in time and make changes accordingly. But as we know, things evolve and change. And none of us know what that future looks like. And so to make physical changes now to a space that may become redundant six months from now is costly to a system. And so if we're smart about it, I think we really need to assess first what needs to change. And if it's a process, focus on that first and then make minor modifications to the built environment that are agile enough that you can continue to revise those as we transition um, into this new norm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that that applies both, at least from Custer's perspective, for the workplace and for healthcare. Like you're saying, we need to take this approach because no one does have a crystal ball. Are we making short-term changes to respond to this based on the immediate need? Or is it a greater impact or a greater change that needs to be taken that might affect the culture or the processes of a general organization? And it's just different to think about, like when you talk about directional changes, you see those signs pointing on your way to the exit in private practice. But now it may be more so for safety than it is just to point people within the office the right direction to go. Really cool. Interesting. So uh, touching on waiting rooms a little bit, I know this has been discussed quite a bit. What is your opinion on how the waiting room might change? Are waiting rooms a thing of the past and may family members be asked to wait in the car? Or how do you see health systems really engaging social distancing in waiting environments if that is the case in the future? You know, that's such an interesting question because I would say waiting rooms as a whole, um, every health system, while they have waiting rooms to an extent, they don't want to call them waiting because ideally they'd like to get the patient back as quickly as possible to be seen. But in all reality, there's going to be a moment in time where people may need to wait or their loved ones may need an area to safely wait. So I think the idea of completely eliminating waiting rooms altogether um, is a little bit unrealistic at this point. I think, again, a lot of systems will focus on processes. So how do we try to minimize how much time they spend going through that space and get them back as soon as possible. But then with the space that we have, how do we allow for that to be, again, you talked about just safety from a spacing perspective, and um, how do we allow it to still be comfortable and provide the amenities that are needed for those individuals that are within that space? So a lot of health systems right now are looking at their existing waiting rooms, and they're looking at in order to really safely space what do we need to pull out? How do we make best use of what we have? But how do we rearrange the space and the product we have? And that's everything from removing furniture and putting it in storage. Um, I know your team in particular is working with several local health systems and their purchasing and facilities departments to go through space by space, perform some asset management updates, and identify the minimum amount of pieces that need to remain in a space, safely stage those, to maintain that six foot distancing sometimes even more and then remove the rest of the product to safely store away for now. And again, the whole thought methodology behind that is don't just assume you won't need it. 
we're at again that point in time. So with what we know that needs to be implemented now, make best use of what you have, put those remaining items to the side, identify a partner that can help you monitor and manage those. And then as we continue to back off and come into this new norm, it allows for you to reach back in from an asset management perspective and pull back into your space the items that you'll need. So I would say that's one way. A lot of health systems too, nursing in particular, they're looking at the idea of um, movable or modular uh, shields. So how do we create more zones and spaces, but not something that's built in from an architectural perspective, something that can be easily reconfigured or eliminated over time, but again, easily cleanable. I think that's the other thing a lot of health systems are looking at is the level of materiality within their waiting spaces. And I think we've all learned from this pandemic that we touch our faces way too often. We also touch physical surfaces. And so the level of cleanability of a surface is critical. And I think a lot of systems, even in healthcare, we know how often they clean and how aggressive the cleaning methodology has to be. And I think that that's going to be even more apparent for time to come. And so I think the selection of materiality needs to be evaluated. And it may even be looking at specific furniture you have in a waiting room now. And if it doesn't meet that ideal need, again, it doesn't mean eliminate it put that piece in storage for now, or maybe reallocate it to another space within the system that doesn't have as much of a critical component to it. Right. Remaining agile, even in a healthcare system to make those changes down the road. I love it. Well, we've been trying to close these out with kind of a final question on a more optimistic approach. Do you see any positive changes in healthcare coming out of considerations of this pandemic? Absolutely. Um, You know, from crisis, it breeds innovation. And I think that that's what I've seen everybody really focus on is I think we've moved past that level of uncertainty and that level of fear. And now everyone is really excited to look at what could be. And with crisis, again, it breeds innovation, but it pushes innovation forward. Far too often, we're so busy with the normal cadence that we don't allow ourselves the time to really think and ideate and innovate. And I think with this, it's given the space to many individuals to really push forward new thoughts and methodologies. So I think the positive here is that we're going to see a tremendous jump, not only from the healthcare system, but the design community as a whole, and how we can collectively come together and redefine what healing spaces should be in the future. All right. Great. That's a wonderful positive outlook to have to cap this off here. Thank you so much for joining us, Lori. I always love talking to you and getting your professional expertise. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my viewpoint and opinion, as well as collectively what my peers have shared. And I'm happy if anyone would like to further the conversation or would like to discuss potential innovation opportunities, they can always find me at Envia, Lori at Envia.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Stay safe, Lori, and thanks for listening, everyone. All right. Have a good rest of the day. We'll see you guys next time on the new Custer Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to find an ending for that.